Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to be with you today. As you would have heard, my name is Matt, and I have the joy of leading our church's kids' ministry. I want to make a special welcome to my parents who are here from the far, far away land of Durbanville. They have decided to join us this morning. <laughs> they also had load shedding as well, so to be here in the midst of load shedding, really, I'm so thankful for you guys being here this morning. May we all be blessed by God's word that we're going to be looking at together. I want to start off our time together by asking a question. Have anybody here been accused of something before? Okay. Maybe you are a little bit, oh, I'm not too sure why you're asking this question. What about this? Have you ever been accused of something that had substance to it? I'll give you an example. When I was in grade two, it was break time, and I ran into a child. And this child was delivering tea to some teachers. Now, as you can imagine, running into a child that's delivering tea to some teachers, that's only going to end one way. Tea spilled everywhere, child crying, and I had a choice. I could either stay, help the child, clean up the mess, or I could run away. Which one do you think I decided to do? <laughs> I ran away, absolutely. I didn't want to get into trouble. And I thought to myself when I got into my classroom, Yo, I've gotten away with it. Nobody saw me. Little did I know that the child told a teacher, and then that teacher then came to the classroom and said to the whole class, we're looking for a boy that ran into this one over here. And then the boy pointed to me. That's the boy over there. He did it. I was caught red-handed, and I had to face my punishment. And the punishment was clean up the mess, say sorry to the boy, and apologize to the teacher. But maybe you can relate with that, maybe in a different way. Maybe you've been accused of being a speeder, and the substance to it is the fine, with a picture of your car, with you driving behind the wheel. <laughs> or it could be something worse. The reality is we don't like being accused of anything. We don't like being accused of bad things because we don't want to believe that we're bad. We want to believe that we are the exceptions. But we have to ask ourselves honest questions. Is that the right question to ask ourselves? My hope is that as we approach this particular passage in James, you'll notice that it's a very, very strong passage. But my hope is that we will heed the warning that James gives us and accept the challenge that he's laid out for us on how we should be acting. So as you know, we are back in our favorite book, the book of James. And I don't know about you, but this book has been an incredible resource for me, and it's been, I'm sure I can speak for everybody in the church that it's been a rich resource for us. It's been, so there's so much that you can actually take from this one small book in the Bible. And I would encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to, go and listen to our past sermons, go onto our YouTube page, watch our past sermons, or even better, open up your Bible. Open up your Bible and read James. Any time in God's Word is good time. Any time is good time in God's Word. And I feel like you will be far better for it by spending time in such a practical book like James. Now, to give us a little bit of an introduction, James 
is the half-brother of Jesus. And what he's been doing throughout this entire time we've been in the book, we've found that he's been writing to a group of Christ followers, a people who are very early in their faith, but he wants them to mature. He wants them to grow. He wants them to actually apply their faith in multiple areas of their life. He wants them to put their faith into action. And as we've been seeing throughout the series, we've seen how a maturing faith grows through trials, how real faith leads to godly action. And then the last sub-series that we looked at was wisdom for community life. And now we are going into a new sub-series in the book of James, Real Faith That Endures. Today's message is all about how real faith lives for God and does not live for money. Now, James is primarily talking to rich oppressors, but he's also speaking to us. He's speaking to us about how we steward our financial material treasures. Now, high schoolers, I can see you guys sitting over there. You might be thinking to yourself, phew, I can just dial out now. I don't have to talk. I don't have to listen whatsoever. This is something for my mom and dad to listen to. I don't have to participate in this whatsoever. But I would like to encourage you, and I would like to ask you guys to not think like that. I want you to rather think of it as an opportunity for you to learn something really valuable for that you're going to be using for the rest of your life. There's a principle in the scriptures that speaks about how if you can be entrusted with little, you can be entrusted with a lot. And especially at your time right now where you may not be earning huge amounts of money, you might not even be getting a huge pocket, bit of pocket money, but the principle is still important. If you can learn how to put things in place to steward your money that you do receive, you'll be better for it. So I want to encourage you high schoolers to lean into what God is saying to you this morning. And I would encourage all of us to be doing that as well. Lean into what God is wanting to say to you this morning. So just before we get into James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, let's look at how we're going to be tackling this passage. Sort of like a judge giving a verdict. So we will consider James's verdict in verse 1. Then we will consider the four charges that he brings against these rich oppressors. Before, we will consider how God wants to link our lives to his eternal purposes. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. Or if you have an iPad or a device, please swipe there. Or better yet, you can look at the screen. It's right there as well. So let's read James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6 together. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Can I just pray for us before we get into this passage? Dear Lord God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that your word speaks truth, that it is the truth. And at the same time, Lord, it also brings 
challenges and it convicts us. I pray, Lord God, as we look at this passage in James, I pray that you will teach us. I pray that you'll give us your ears. I pray that you'll help us to understand what you're trying to say to us from this very challenging passage in James. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's consider James's verdict. Look at verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Now, if you are familiar with the court system, you'll know that a judgment or verdict has to be given first before charges are even, um, before the charges, so the charges have to be read first, then the judgment is given. James does things a little bit differently. He starts with the verdict. You guys are going to experience this. You are guilty. He kind of sounds like an Old Testament prophet. In fact, the responses of weeping and wailing are actually the same words that the prophets used in the Old Testament to describe the posture of the unrighteous when God's judgment comes. James is actually probably shocked that he has to speak about this to these people because he thinks, but I've said this already. Why do I have to come back? It's because these people had forgotten. They had forgotten. And James feels like he now has to speak quite firmly to them. If you want to think of it maybe in a different way, think of it like a child crying and wailing non-stop. The parents, I can imagine you are probably thinking back, oh no, oh no, please don't talk about that. But we have to. Because the reality is children will cry and they will wail, and especially when they're having a temper tantrum. I can remember when we went to a shop one time, I saw a child, and he was crying, and he was wailing. I thought that the child was actually like in so much pain, but he wasn't. He was just having a temper tantrum because his mom had bought the wrong shampoo. He clearly wanted the Spider-Man shampoo, but the mom had got him a Batman shampoo. How unreasonable is this mother, hey? <laughs> the kind of weeping and wailing that James is talking about is not weeping and wailing of a child having a temper tantrum. No, this is intense. This is intense, and it's going to come about from something that is coming, something that is going to happen to these people. But who is the guilty? The verse tells us, the rich. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 13, James is talking primarily to people who plan. This time he's talking to the rich. This isn't the first time that he's spoken to the rich. If you go back to chapter 2, he spoke to them about not showing favoritism to those who are not wealthy. But this time, he's actually being very harsh with them. But the question is, does James have a problem with money? No. He doesn't have a problem with money. He doesn't have a problem with them, these people being rich. The problem that he has with these people is with their hearts. Something has gotten a hold of their hearts. And it's taken them away from a greater purpose for their lives. James, being the younger brother of Jesus, and now speaking as a younger brother, I like to sometimes paraphrase what my older brother would say. G James has his bro older brother's words in the back of his mind probably when he's writing this. From Luke chapter 6, verse 24. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you only have happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time, sorry, 
What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. The disaster that is going to come upon these rich people is something that's going to happen in the future when Christ returns. It's not earthly suffering. It's not earthly suffering. It's when Christ returns, when judgment comes on these people. Now we've considered the verdict. What are the charges against these rich people? Well, let's look at the first charge. They hoarded their abundance for themselves. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. It's quite the thought, isn't it? That what we do or don't do with our money actually testifies against us or for us before God? Did you think about that? That's quite something. These men and women that James is writing to have chosen hoarding. They have chosen hoarding instead of helping. So instead of their finances, their wealth being a means for future reward, it's now a means for future curse. Something has gotten a hold of their hearts. The heart is the problem. If you maybe want to think of it in a different way, think of it like the last week before you move into a new house. I'm sure everybody here has moved houses in some respect, and you know what the last week is like. It's kind of pressurized. You're putting things into boxes like that. You're sorting through things. What am I going to keep? What am I going to donate? What am I going to leave behind? All those kind of things happen. But instead of that, you live like you're not going anywhere. In fact, you buy new stuff and you pack everything into the cupboards because in your mind, where are you going? Even though in the back of your mind, you know, oh, I'm actually moving next week. For Christ followers, our new home is eternal life with God. So the question is, why hoard if you know that? Now, there is a difference between saving and hoarding. James is not against saving, and neither is the Bible. I'm sure the financial planners in the audience right now are sighing relief, like, oh, thank you, thank you. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. It says the following. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. But the question is, why do we get so easily entangled by the money pursuit? Why? Why? It's quite simple. We have God-shaped holes in our hearts, and we want to put whatever is created into that hole. But the reality is nothing created will ever do that. Nothing created will ever fill that gap. Only something and someone who is eternal can fill that gap. Wealth is an incredible opportunity. It really is. But the thing about wealth is that if we don't have the right perspective on it, it can work for our destruction because a love of money will rot our souls. But that's not only part of the verse. Look at the other part that speaks about how our silver and gold corrodes. Now, 
I'm sure everybody knows that gold and silver doesn't rust. But James is making a very simple point. All wealth is fleeting. All things corrode over time. Things don't last. Our time on earth is short. Yes, we are eternal beings. But our time on earth is very short. So we, and if you even go back to James chapter 4, we are like mist. We are here for a period before we depart. John Calvin, a really, really good guy that I feel like some, some of you must listen to, said the following, God has not appointed gold for rust, nor garments for moths, but on the contrary, he has designed them as aids and helps to human life. We should have the words of Jesus ringing in our ears from Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the persons of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. We have to change our perspective on how we view our money. And we have to see it as a blessing that God has given us so that we can be a blessing to others. Let's consider the second charge. These people were treating their staff unjustly. Look at verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Anybody here heard of the expression daylight robbery? So daylight robbery, a simple expression, means when something is so blatantly obvious that this person is being ripped off. That is an example of daylight robbery. But do you know what the origin of that story actually comes from? So back in 1690, when King Henry III was in power, he had depleted all of his money. And he came up with this very clever idea with his leadership crew that we were going to devise a new tax. And this new tax revolved around windows. So if a building had more windows, that building would be taxed more. So people got onto this. They realized, oh, we can get away with pay, um, not paying tax by boarding up our windows so that we don't have to pay this, this tax. And what happens when you board up windows? Light doesn't come in. Hence the phrase, daylight robbery. Because the light was being robbed. <laughs> now the robbery that's spoken about in verse 4 is far more serious. These rich people have cheated their workers out of their pay. And it's as if their money is testifying against them, like a witness in a trial. Now, sometimes we might be like this. We might be tempted to be like these rich people in that we don't pay our workers on time. We may be tempted to be like that. And if you even think about businesses, how many businesses have gone under just because accounts haven't been paid off? And sometimes what can so easily happen is we think of profits, we think of numbers, but we actually don't remember that we're dealing with people. We're dealing with people. And these people could be mothers, could be fathers, could be sole breadwinners in their homes. 
In South Africa, the unemployment rate is incredibly high. And for some, they might think that is an opportunity to take advantage of people and say, oh, you don't have work, I'm just going to give you a job and I'll pay you what I want to. Is that the best way that we should be thinking about this? No. We need to be thinking differently as Christ followers. We need to be thinking differently. We need to be acting differently. Instead of thinking about, oh, just paying them what they want or what we want or giving them minimum wage, we need to be thinking a little bit more about a living wage, a wage that actually can support their family, a wage that actually can help them. That's what we need to be thinking about. This is a gospel. Oh, that sign fell down. <laughs> we need to be thinking differently as Christ followers. Oop. The Holy Spirit is here, guys. <laughs> we have to be thinking differently as Christ followers. This is a gospel thing. This is about the gospel. That's what we need to be thinking about. Don't take my word for it. Take what James says in James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in distress and keep oneself of being polluted by the world. We need to be thinking and acting differently as Christ followers when it comes to treating other people who may be in our employment. Now, the third charge that James brings to these rich people was that they were living a self-indulgent lifestyle. Look at verse five. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. It seems like these rich people are living a very good life. They're living their best lives now. They're enjoying personal happiness, luxury, pleasure. Things are just good for them. And they probably view their wealth as a means to avoid pain as a means to avoid suffering and to maybe protect themselves. Instead of thinking beyond that themselves and thinking about the people around them, they focus too much on their own lives. Instead of building bridges, they've built fences. Now, it's very, very tempting in our modern society to compare ourselves with people say, oh, this person earns more than me, and they have this much and all that kind of stuff. I'm not wealthy. But if you ask yourself these questions, you might actually discover that you're a little bit more wealthier than you thought. Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have worries about where your next meal is going to come from? Do you have running water? Those questions are very, very important, especially when you start saying, oh, I'm not well off. Friends, we're well off than we tend to realize. But do you notice the irony in what James is saying to these rich people? That they're living so much in pleasures of life now? It reminds me of what Jesus said back in the uh, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 16, verse 25, when he's speaking about the rich man and Lazarus. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. And Lazarus 
had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. These rich people had forgotten that Jesus is coming back. They had forgotten. And what we as Christ followers need to be doing is that we need to have a right understanding that Christ is going to be coming back. We can't pretend like this world is all that we have because it's not. C.S. Lewis helps us when he says the following, a proper understanding of the second coming of Christ means that you will have a proper understanding of the world. Jesus is going to return. Every wrong will be made right. All injustice will be made right. But we need to keep our eye on eternity and not be so fixated on what's happening right now. Yes, you might be fortunate enough to have wealth. Enjoy it. Spend it. But never ever think that it's going to last. Always have one eye on eternity. Always have that. The final charge that James brings against these rich people is that oppression of the innocent. Look at verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. James says that these people have condemned and murdered. What shocking language. What are we to make of this? To condemn someone is to point to the legal system. And probably James is alluding to that these rich people are taking advantage of the legal system. And to murder speaks for itself. Now, if you want to maybe think of it in a different way, think about that person who doesn't oppose these rich people. Think of it like a punching bag. You might know what a punching bag is. You may have gone to a gym and you may have seen them hanging over there. Or maybe you have one set up in your garage. A punching bag's basic function is to be punched. It can't defend itself, so you can punch like this. I know my form is terrible, but the point is very, very simple. The punching bag is not going to fight back. Its design is to take punishment. It doesn't oppose the person who's throwing the punches. So the question is, why is this innocent one not doing anything? Who is the innocent one? So, in your English Bibles, a lot of different translations have a debate as to who this person is. Is it plural? Because some Bibles will say righteous men. Others will say an innocent one. But the question is, who is this person? Who is this people? So, you have to go back and look at the Greek. The Greek actually points to something quite incredibly. It's singular. It's singular. So if you look throughout the scriptures, the word in singular has been used across to refer to the righteous people. But I think James is using this for a very, very good reason. I think he's wanting us to think about somebody who was truly innocent, who was truly righteous, who did nothing wrong, and when he was arrested and sent to death, he didn't oppose them. Talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. But now, you might be thinking, well, did the rich murder Jesus? 
Did they condemn him? No. Sin did. Sin condemned Jesus. Sin condemned him and murdered him on that cross. Christ died for our sins, setting us free from our slavery so that we can have a better future. He has won us the victory. He's given us the victory so that we now can enjoy this incredible blessing. We don't deserve this blessing. We don't. But Christ has given it to us freely. And how should we respond to such a grace? How should we respond to be a blessing to others? So now the, the last part, before we go a little bit to the end. How does God want us to link, how does he want to link our lives to his purposes, his eternal purposes? What is our response? It's quite simple. What we do with our money matters eternally. You'll notice throughout this passage, James has been incredibly strong. But he's doing this because it matters to God. And therefore, it should be important to us. We need to consider how we look after our money, how we steward it seriously. We have to recognize that we're on this earth for a very short period. In light of eternity, we are here for a very short period of time. We cannot assume that this whole world is all we have. We can't assume that. But at the same time, we also can't get fixated on, oh, Christ is coming back. I can't do anything. No, we mustn't think like that either. We have to be keeping our eye on eternity, but we also have to recognize that there is an opportunity for us to be a blessing around us. Now, it is by coincidence that Common Good is here this morning. Like, honestly, when we were planning everything like this, Common Good came in a little bit later. So just by coincidence, Common Good is here. And I want to just point to a number of resources that they have brought to us today. So this is a six-day devotional on a living wage. I spoke about that a little bit earlier. And it's a great resource to help disciple us into the concept of a living wage. So I would encourage you to go to the Involvement Hub to actually grab one of these. You'll be richer for it, I promise you. Another thing is a business card that speaks about the living wage resources. So you have the devotional, but there are so many other resources that actually have been created, articles that have been written. And if you want to go and have a look at that, scan this code over here, and you'll be taken to the living wage resources. Now, you might even be tempted in this particular moment to say, yes, I'm on fire. I'm going to go and give to common good. And then after the moment is done, then you forget. What James is doing and what God is doing is he's not calling us into a moment. He's calling us into a lifestyle of being a blessing. He's calling us into a lifestyle. And if you think about the generosity of our church, look at what our generosity has been able to accomplish the amount of churches that have been able to be established and thriving from our advanced family. The opportunity to partner with different organizations. 
our church is incredibly generous. And I want to give kudos to you guys. You are doing a good thing. And I'm just saying to you right now, don't stop. Keep on doing it. Keep your eyes on eternity. But also remember that there is a lot of people in need right now that could do with your help. So as I begin to land, I would like to invite the band up, and they're going to lead us with one more song. So I want to encourage us with this one final thought. Live for God. Don't chase after money. But if God has put it on your plate to have a lot, let's take every ounce of it and use it for His glory. Because, remember, we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to everybody. Let me pray for us, and then the band can lead us in our last song. Dear Lord God, I want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you for how we've been able to just spend time looking at your word. I want to thank you for the challenge that it has brought us this this morning. I pray, Lord God, that as we go from this place, I pray, Lord God, that the lessons that we've learned this morning will not just stay here, that they will go with us into the rest of our lives. I pray, Lord God, that you will help us to really take to heart what you have said to us from your word this morning. I pray for as we now go into a time of worship, I pray that it will be a meaningful time where we can connect with you through worship. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you for what it has accomplished today. In your name we pray. Amen. Before the 